0: Good morning. morning. (coughs) Excuse me. Well, it's good to be with you you here this morning. Uh, Glad that uh, for you who are here are joining us uh, face-to-face and for you who are at home uh, are joining us via the wonderful internet, which every day I realize I know less and less about, but uh, we we are trying to... Uh, just keep in touch with the whole church body as a whole and it's it 's tough right now, but um we 're working through that so um we 're going to look into james three one through twelve but i 'm uh, i 'm going to pray first before we do that so heavenly father we uh we thank you for this moment this time that we can that we can gather and we can be together uh if not here in person lord um in spirit and uh there's churches all around the world, Lord, your church, your body, your people, gathering this Sunday uh, to give praise to you, to recognize who you are and uh, how it is that you're working in our lives and in this world uh, through us. So we ask, Lord, that we would grasp hold of that truth um, and that we would, um, we would grasp hold of the, the reality that we are to be used by you. And as we look through James, Lord, we we can realize that our words have a big impact on just how the world views you and uh, uh, how um, we are viewed by the world, Lord. So we ask that we would uh, we would take to heart what it is that we hear from James today. Uh, we ask your blessings on our time and uh, just be with us and let your Spirit uh, speak to us this morning in your name. Amen. I apologize for my uh, <clears> throat> my throat is a little scratchy right now, so. I have to clear it. I apologize for that. But um, so we're skipping over James 2. Unfortunately, that was our mistake. Uh, we we uh, scheduled this, and J- Jim was going on vacation. And uh, we didn't realize where, where this all fell in the schedule. And so I'd already planned on doing James 3, and I'd already been planning it. And so we're going to go back to James 2. So we're a little out of order, um, but it's OK. I think all of it will still apply and we'll, we'll tie it all in together. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I do want to say, th- I know he's not here, he's actually in the Cape right now, but thank you to Jim for stepping up and preaching and taking on that role right now. That is a very big and heavy role to take on. And so I do actually want to just thank him for that. And I also want to thank Austin for stepping in today for me. Um, I appreciate it, and it's it's good to see you, it's good to hear you, and I'm glad you were here uh, leading us in, in worship this morning, so, all right, um, I'm gonna read this passage, and then uh, I'm gonna go through this, and um, I'm not gonna have all the verses up here, so if you just keep your Bible open um, to, to James, uh, we'll just kind of keep going back and referring to where we are, so. And if I look tired this morning, I am. It's probably partly my voice too. I, I started wor- going back to—I'm a teacher, so we went back to, to work this this week. Yay! Face to face and hybrid—you got to do both. It's really difficult, and so this has been a really hard week of learning and craziness. So, uh, on top of you know prepping to preach and everything else, so I am a little tired this morning, but we'll we'll get through this. But so let me let me read James three one through twelve. Uh, this is a passage on taming the tongue. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. <clears throat> I think Austin actually already summed up my whole sermon in his introduction to uh, <laughs> to the service. But uh, with our replacement, we're replacing uh, negative thoughts. And we're replacing negative words with positive ones, but um, how do we practically do that? Okay, so um, I do think that the 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 idea that James is getting at in this passage—these ideas of words and the tongue and what the tongue does and what the tongue produces—is very pertinent, right, uh, for today. Just it's not it wasn't only for them in that time. It's really pertinent for us today, and especially even more so maybe because of the internet, and we have the ability to send out all of these words, okay? So um, for us, we need a a definite taming of the tongue and maybe a taming of the fingers a little bit too, right? So one thing I did notice about James, and again, uh, it's this boldness that James has. Uh, He speaks very similarly to Jesus, like in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, He's blunt, he's bold, but underneath it all, there's this encouraging graceful loving tone you know good things will come from addressing these issues that he's talking about so you know many many scholars they'll actually compare James to like the book of Proverbs um, or the Sermon on the Mount all right and so obviously if we look at those books they're really books that would say that your actions or your words will bring about a response and that response will either be positive or negative so before we jump into the, the passage, I want to read this little child's rhyme that will be up here on the screen, but I think it kind of sets the tone for the whole topic. Here we go. Ready? It's kind of funny. It says this, I lost a very little word only the other day. It was a very naughty word I had not meant to say, but then it was not really lost when from my lips it flew. My little brother picked it up and now he says it too. How true is that, right? The first first verse here that James gets to, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Well, here before I stand, you teaching this morning, there's a lot of weight in those words even for me, right? I'm a teacher on a daily basis. I go to school and I teach. There's weight to those. So, James can say this, right? He can say that not many of you should do this because he was witness to the perfect teacher. It was his half-brother, Jesus. He knows the example, right? He has the, the liberty to make this state. In Luke 4, 31, it says, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching. His word possessed authority. That's Jesus. I mean, Jesus came, his particular trade, he was a carpenter, Right? But he was really here to teach and show humanity who God was and what he was like and what he desired of his creation. But he also, you know, he was here to experience what it's like to be human. He had all the same desires of the flesh that we have, but he still lived perfectly. So think about a teacher for a second. I wrote down a few notes. They, they, they're ready every day with a lesson. They're prepared. They're able to manage disagreements between people. Uh, teach how to work with one another, right? They're they able to sympathize with people or their students. They can relate. They're able to encourage them, able to instill a desire or for a passion for whatever it is that you teach. So if you're not prepared when you go to teach, what happens and what ends up is you got chaos. Nobody learns. This is just chaotic. So I think what James is actually saying, not many of you should become teachers because it's a hard role to take on. A lot of people will do it for the wrong reasons. Maybe the money, maybe the time, maybe the power. All of these things, the manipulation. People will do it for the wrong reasons. You're going to be in the center stage, in the spotlight, expected to speak a particular way. Jesus claimed to be God. That's a pretty big claim, right? You think he wasn't under the microscope? Oh, I think he was. The scribes and the Pharisees, they tried to trip him up every chance they got. Here's a reality not too far removed, though. We're making a claim that we are... The children of God. We're God's children. If you don't think we will be under the microscope, think again. We're meant to emulate him, look like him, do the things he does. Isn't that what kids do? They hang around their parents. They want to be with their parents. I try to get away from my kids. Guess where they go? Woo, right right where I go, everywhere I go, right? Because they want to be with it. They want to learn. It's not until we get older that we're like, eh, look us. We're tired of this, Right? So if you claim to be a follower of Christ, you'll be under the microscope, right? Now, I don't think he's discouraging from people, discouraging people from becoming a teacher. He's warning them, right? I mean, this is a hard job um, and and people will judge you based upon what you say that you are and what you do, as well as God will judge you. He says, um, James says, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Well, I, I wanna actually point out that in some senses, we are all teachers, right? It's just what and who are we teaching? So Douglas Moo writes in his commentary that one interpretation of this greater judgment is that teachers, because their ministry involves speech, the hardest of all the parts of the body to control, expose themselves to greater danger of judgment. I do think there's a difference between somebody who says, I want to be a teacher or a pastor, right? but in some senses, we are all called to preach and teach the word. We'll be under the microscope. Therefore, people look at us, they'll judge us, they'll judge our words, they'll judge our actions based on what we profess to believe. Not only will people judge us, but God's going to judge us. Okay? Matthew 12 says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. It says in James 5, actually a little further on in, in this book, it says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Romans 14.12 So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Again, I gave you a bunch of passages there, but count on the fact there will be a judgment on the words you speak, right? Not meaning you won't be forgiven, okay? But there will be a judgment. You'll be held accountable. The question is, How are the words that you speak, do they bring destruction or life on earth? Here where we are right now. Here's the relief, okay? And before we get into kind of the the comparing of the power of the tongue, this is the second verse. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. I think what James is is saying here, the observation is that nobody is perfect except for one, and that's Jesus. He said, we're all gonna stumble. Let's put it out on the table. He's not pointing the finger saying, oh, only you, not me. No, he's including himself. Again, James was witness to the perfect man able to bridle his body, his tongue, the half-brother of Jesus. You know how annoying that must have been? you grow up in the house and the guy's always got something positive to say. He always turns it around and makes it positive. He's always got the right answer. He always does the right thing. Arr, right, you know? So think about that. He can say it. It's coming from personal experience. It's gonna be a struggle though. He's making no, it's going to, we'll say things we don't wanna say. We'll do things we don't wanna do just like Paul says in Romans 7, 15. He says, why do I do the things I don't want to do? Well, Jesus said, what is it that defiles a person? It's what comes out of the mouth, and what comes out of the mouth is from the heart. So what is really the issue here? This is a heart issue. Okay? But let's look at the power of the tongue. All right? So my first point is the tongue is powerful, and we're going to look at words. So... I think we all understand what the purpose of the tongue is, right? It's to actually produce sound. It's actually to make words. It's for communication. It's our primary method of communication. Uh, you know, they're spoken, they're written, they're organized. They're, they're, they're in a way that we can understand it. Okay, it's a language. So, if we go back to the beginning, it says in Genesis, God spoke the earth into existence using words. God said, Let there be light, let there be an expanse, let there be the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air, etc., etc. All these things were created and they were good. It was good. We skip to chapter 3 in Genesis. Says, now, the serpent, who was more crafty than any other beast of the field, he said to the woman, Did God actually say to you not to eat any tree in the garden? And with words, Satan deceives, and we have evil and sin. And words are used for evil. So God's ultimate intention or purpose for words was for communication between us and him, and they were good. Okay, the devil deceived, and we have evil. So here's some uses for words I put up on, I think they're up on the screen, but God used words to create. He used words to tell us his story, revealing the truth about him. We sing and worship with words. We pray and communicate with God with words. We talk with one another with words. We express our feelings with words, right? We fight and argue. We can recall happy times and sad times, pleasure and displeasure. We make rules and laws. We enjoy enjoy words through entertainment and learning. Words are used for teaching. Words we have war. With words we have war and peace, love and hate. We proclaim the gospel with words. You know, words actually, though black and white, can actually conjure up. Im- they could be colorful too, but conjure up images in color. Someone can say something to you, and you can actually taste or smell something based upon a word. You've already experienced it, so they have a lot of power. Communication with the tongue was always part of God's original design. He didn't design us with perfect bodies and evil tongues from the beginning, but because we sin, now we have. Evil minds that produce evil words. For most of us, speaking is not really much of a difficulty. We wake up every morning, it's just natural. You know, we say the first thing that comes to our mind. Maybe some of us shouldn't say the first thing that comes to our mind, but we do. It's natural. So how we use those words is so important. When I think of like the Constitution and and the amendments, our first it's a freedom of speech, the first amendment. We argue and fight all the time about gun control. Well, we need some tongue control. Sorry, that's a little cheesy. But (laughs) the first amendment, right? We could use a little tongue control. All right. So we get back into the into the passage. It says if verse three, if we put bits into the mouths of horses. So that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds. They're guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Well, similar to the way that Jesus taught, we see James is doing the same thing here, right? He's, He's illustrating for us and making some images to help us understand the power of the tongue. So uh, think about this. Think how remarkably effective. I've never even ridden a horse, so I'm, I'm just going on my knowledge of you know what I've read and what other people do and I see. So I actually don't have first-hand experience with this, but the remarkable part of this is a horse is a powerful beast, right? It's a powerful animal, and one man can, you can put a bit and a bridle on a, on a horse, or a team of horses, and you can control them and do amazing things with them. But without the bit and the bridle, you can't do anything. They'll just whoosh, run amok, they'll go chaos, and then you'll have destruction. Similarly, the tongue, though seemingly insignificant, if gone unbridled results in an uncontrolled man that's a man's life unchecked unguided his out of control tongue will bring destruction upon him and others just like an out of control horse or rider in the same way a ship carrying passengers from one place to another right can safely navigate the seas and deliver its cargo or its passengers to a destination without harm because it has a rudder and the pilot can use that rudder to direct it through the open waters, right, and keep it on its course. But without the, the rudder, that boat is just set adrift. It has no way to control it. There's no way to, to move it around. So the next thing you find out is it's either lost at sea or smashing against the rocks. Destruction. Just a small rudder on a big boat in a huge sea of water. The tongue is small but boastful. So what is it boasting about? There's three objects that James is giving us here. He's comparing. All of these objects are, are for leading, guiding, directing larger objects, right? So a bit and a horse, a rudder, a ship, a tongue, the course of life. You know, You ever think about the fact that you could actually change the course of somebody's life depending upon what you say to them? These small objects, they're controlling, they're persuasive, they're manipulative. It's especially important for teachers and pastors and husbands and wives and parents or anyone in a position of leadership or authority to consider. We're all teachers. Point B, the tongue may be dangerous. Okay, it's powerful, but it also may be dangerous. Go back to the, the passage. It says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting the fire, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on hell, set on fire by hell. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. The tongue has an appetite for destruction. You know, we come to church, we're here, we're praising God. Then after church, we go downstairs or we go outside. Oh, did you hear what Brother Matt did last week? And he calls himself a Christian, right? We bless God and then we curse Matt. I'm not talking about you, Matt. Just your name just, you know, is there. We ridicule we slander one another. We begin to gossip about people's problems and then begin to judge them based on their problems. I like his analogy of a great forest here, right? A great forest consists of a working ecosystem, right? There's a relationship between the old trees, the young trees, the soil, all the organisms in the soil working together to make this great forest. It takes time. If any of you know anything about uh, successional forest growth, I'm an agriculture teacher. So what happens is there's nothing, okay? You have a field or bare soil. And eventually what happens is you start to get some grasses and weeds and wildflowers and things like that that grow in there. And you get weedy trees and all these other things that start to grow. And eventually the good seeds will come in and they'll take over. And all of the stuff, the weedy stuff that you don't want, see, it's gone. Okay. It becomes a great forest. It can't grow underneath the big trees. There's too much shade. can't grow with the, the deep roots. There's no room for it. Like relationships in churches, though, or the church as a whole, in and, and the whole world, they take time to, to mature, time for love to grow and for for trust, right? To trust one another. But all of a sudden, where, you know, there's a fire. <laughs> where, where'd that come from? Fire, it's an unpredictable method of destruction. It starts small, smoldering, and then it grows and it grows and it grows. It's consuming. It destroys everything in its path. It's actually considered one of the most destructive forces of nature. I had a friend who is out in California, and I worked with him this summer, and we were, I was complaining about the heat and the drought because I was doing landscape this summer, and I hadn't really done it to the extent that I was doing it this summer. And I was complaining about it. And, and he's like, he said, you know, everybody who complains, you know, that it rains too much here, you know, or it's too wet, they should really go somewhere where it doesn't rain and there's the risk of fire, like out in California. He said, I've, I, was, I was in one. He was out there in college. He said, I was in one. He's like, I have never been so afraid in my entire life. It surrounds him. Surround, there's no way out. You can't get out of it and it's just destroying everything in its path. All it takes is one misplaced spark or word to create chaos. If, if you catch it, right? Oh, the spark, can't. if you catch it, you could put it out, right? You can extinguish it, but if you don't see the spark and you don't hear the word that comes out, you don't catch it, you can't put it out, you can't extinguish it, if you, you don't even notice it because you're unaware, it's unbridled, it just flows naturally from you, right? Have you ever said something, and literally, it's like you can see the word coming out, and it's about to hit, right? And you're like, ah, well, you wish you could pull it back. You wish nobody heard what you just said. You ever have that happen? I'll give you, I'll tell you something. This is really bad, and this is, this is careless of me. This is why I'm making this point. This is really late. It was like 12 o'clock at night, and... And I'm at home, and I, the, the drain was clogged in the bathroom. And I was like, hmm, I need to unclog this drain. So I had this drain cleaner that comes in a plastic bag with, like, warnings all over it. I mean, it's like, put glasses on, all this stuff. You know, dude, it's like, gloves. I've, so I'm like, that's ah, 12 o'clock. I just want to do this so it'll be clear. So I, I, I just take it out. I start pouring it in. I'm literally watching it. And I, I can remember one drop whew, of lye right in my eye. It burned my eye, so they said, if it landed just this far, far this much further, I would be blind <laughs> in my eye. And the work I had to do to get this eye healed up was ridiculous. <laughs> so it was just a careless moment, a careless word, one word. The tongue is like fire, it's said among our members here, it stains the, if you're ever near a fire, if you're near a fire and it's out of control, you're going to get burned. At a minimum, you're going to smell like smoke. It's going to stain you. There's a residue. It's left over. It destroys relationships, right? Gossip destroys relationships. It causes division amongst the believers in the church. One of the greatest causes for church splits is divisive words spoken against more often leaders. But it could be anyone in the church. I've actually been witness to this many times. Just takes one word. Song of Solomon in in, uh, 2.15, it says, The little foxes spoil the vineyard. They go around chewing and nibbling, causing damage to the vines. Small wounds that turn into destruction of the whole vineyard. Solomon says, get rid of the foxes. Well, our natural tendency as sinful people, right? It's to be inconsiderate of others, the way we talk about them. We, we, we complain, we gossip, we slander, we ridicule, we lie about others. Not, it's not always intentionally. It's not, but, but sometimes it is intentional. James says, we curse those made in the image of God. We spew offensive words or phrases and it's meant to hit a target. That's the American way. Right, we see it every time we turn on the TV and our workplaces. Uh, you know, our presidential candidates—we tear each other down. Isn't that the goal? You know, to always be the, uh, to, to, to end up on top, right? You want to be the guy who ends up on top, so you cut the other guy down. You make yourself look good. You destroy the other person. Words spoken carelessly, unwisely, destructively can set ablaze the whole sphere of our existence, affecting seriously our family life, our church life, our community life. And this part is really strong uh, that James says. The destructive power of the tongue is satanic. James says it is set on fire by hell. (laughs) Can language be clearer and stronger than this? In other words, this shouldn't be happening, right? Especially in the church where we're supposed to be building each other up. Ephesians 4, 29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good. Good. We're building up as fits the occasion. That it may give grace to those who hear. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. This is the way we ought to act. Now, I skipped over verse 8, if, if anyone noticed. It's probably up there, but in verse 8, we'll go back to that. James says, but no human being can tame the tongue. Just throw it out there. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. So how do we start to get some control over this tool of destruction? I mean, poison has one job. It's to kill, right? You ever watch old movies where, like, you do the old switcheroo with the cups, and they put the poison in, and it's like, who's got the poison? It's, it's, meant, it's meant to kill, though. Just like one drop of poison, all it takes is one word to bring death to a relationship. So here, here's, the, here's the thing, uh, before we get into some, some parts of how we can, we can work on this, but why is a tongue dangerous? It has the ability to speak truth or lies. And truth creates trust, and lies create doubt. So I got two definitions for truth. One, truth is the first step to making better decisions is about whom to trust about whom to trust is to realize that we are all biased. Biases result from the mental shortcuts that our brain reverts to when facing otherwise overwhelming information, processing demands. The process of deciding whether or not to trust others depends on the category we've instantly and unconsciously assigned them to, and our past experiences with people from that group. While these mental shortcuts work reasonably well most of the time, They also leave us vulnerable to a variety of judgment traps. This is especially true when it comes to trust. What defines us, right? Is it past experiences or the truth that God declares above them all? God's opinion of you is the reality of what we anchor ourselves with in the world, which we're going to talk a little bit more about in a minute. But that's truth. A lie... Okay? Creates doubt. So uh, here's a definition I have of doubt. Doubt. A single lie discovered is enough to create doubt in every truth expressed. Meaning, all it takes is one tiny lie to change your perspective on the person you thought you could trust the most in your life. It may even be possible for you never to trust that person ever again. You know, Austin kind of said it before, but identifying the lies, right, and replacing them with truth, uh, it's it's a a mental ascent from the mind to the heart. In order to do that, we have to look to God's word and let that shape us. And that will dispel the lies that so often we cling to, that we've been shaped from other people. So, we're going to talk a little more about that in a second, but I want to just say, be cautious that you're not creating doubt, but trust, not only in you, but most importantly, in God. So, if what controls the whole body is the mind, that must have some effect on our tongue. So, we're going to go to here. I'm, I'm going to give you some points. Um, on how we can work on this, okay, some application. So the reality is that uh, we can't tame the tongue, right? I mean, you think about it. You can tame all kinds of animals, but they're still animals. They're unpredictable. You could tame a dog all you want, and the next thing you know, it bites somebody who comes over. It's unpredictable, okay? So that's the reality of it. But we can work on it for sure, all right? So how are we chaining? Taming, how are we training our minds, right? The tongue should be pure. It's transforming your life. So think about this for a second. If words are so important, I mean, we're bombarded daily by words. I mean, through TV, internet, uh, coworkers, music. I mean, everything, okay? It's just, it's daily. So what do we do with those words that enter into our brains, right? How do we process them? What do we do with them? You know, I find myself reminding my kids all the time, like, I want to watch TV or listen to something, or I say, listen, just remember, whatever you let in through these eyes and these ears, you will not get out, okay? So be cautious about what you listen to and about what you watch, because it will shape your thoughts and your opinions, you have to filter it. There's stuff that gets in there that we don't want in there. Trust me, there is. But what do you do with it? All right, most information presented requires for us to, to figure out whether it's useful or not. Does this information enhance our view of God and man or detract from our views of God and man? We gotta challenge it. We gotta put it up against God's word. I'm reading this book right now and it's called Discover Your True Self and it's actually part of my message here this morning, but how to silence the lies of your past and actually experience who God says you are. It's a study in Ephesians, um, and the writer Chip Ingram is actually using the idea of a reflection of a mirror that I think James is also using too uh, back in chapter one, um, uh, a reflection of the mirror that is so important, okay? So he, he calls it the power of the mirror. So when you look in a mirror, right, you see a reflection. So is that reflection a true reflection of who you really are in the inside or is it just an outward facade put on to make people think you're someone you're not? Which one are you seeing? Is it the same one everyone else is seeing? The reality of this truth, it depends on what mirrors we look in. Do we allow the reflection of other people to shape and mold who we are or do we look into the law of liberty and find freedom from the enslavement of all the other mirrors? Are we comparing ourselves and our worth based upon the mirrors, what the mirrors are telling us or what God says we are worth to him? Are our words and actions reflection from other mirrors that we look into over time And instead of becoming our true selves, how God sees us, right, we become slaves to what other people think, the terms they dictate and the roles they expect us to play. Similarly, we often have a way of shaping God's word to fit our lives instead of allowing God's word to shape our lives. So I'll ask you, what mirrors or words are you looking into? And remember, the words that people are speaking are a reflection of their heart. Our minds are created within relationships. This is a quote, including the one that we have with ourselves. Each of us has a unique mind, unique thoughts, feelings, perceptions, memories, beliefs, and attitudes, and a unique set of regulatory patterns. These patterns shape the flow of energy and information inside of us, and we share them with other minds, we speak them. We share our thoughts. Right, the tongue—it's eh, like a speaker for the mind. Thoughts formed, expressed—boop, speaker—they come out. So, what are we using to control our minds? To help control our minds? Romans eight five says: For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh; but those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind uh, for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Romans 12 two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You gotta let the spirit work on the mind. So here's five ways that I'm gonna say that we can do to work and train the mind, okay? Um, <clears> okay. <throat> They're all on a list. I'm going to detail them out just a little bit. But here's the reality. They're not new. You've heard them all before. I'm not telling you anything new today at all, (laughs) for that matter. Okay, but you have to apply it. These are habits. You replace bad habits with good habits. But you have to do them. You can't just think about them and want to do them. No, you actually have to do them. So the first one, it's be in Scripture. Scripture. Read it, meditate on it, soak it in. It's not just knowledge about God that we seek, but we want to really know who he is and what he wants of us. A lot of people know about God, but do they really want him? J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, says that we need to turn each truth that we learn about God into a matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. It's an activity of holy thought consciously performed in the presence of God under the eye of God by the help of God as a means of communion with God. John 1 refers to Christ as the Word. If you want to get to know him, well, I mean, read the story he wrote for you, the Bible. Phil, Phil Wickham wrote a song called uh, Heaven Song, and that song says, uh, I wrote a letter and I signed my name, right? He wrote a letter. He signed his name, and then me, I, I read it page by page. It's a love story. It's, it tells us who he is. It expresses his feelings, his desires for us. Do you ever read letters? Old letters, any letters. It's like a past time. But my, I was reading some old letters to my grandparents, and, and I, it's it's like it's weird. It's like they're talking about picking potatoes. <laughs> uh, they're from Maine, and they're talking about harvesting and picking potatoes, and like that's like half the conversation in the letter. Half of them that I read, and I'm like, okay. So, anyways, um, but there's like this passion in that for some reason. (laughs) I can't explain. The love in the letter is like, wow, I can feel it, okay? And half the time it's seemingly they're talking about something that's not very passionate, but it's there, they're actually writing each other and talking to each other, right? So old letters, you know, movies, we love love stories. I I will confess I am a, uh, you know, cheesy love story movie guy, sorry, uh, but that's just the way I am, so if that hurt any of your guys' feelings, uh, sorry, but <clears throat> it can be hard to, to read emotion, right, in a letter, it can be hard to, to read emotion, and, and even harder, think about text messaging, unless you know the person, like if you know the person, it's a lot easier to figure out what it is they're they're trying to express or say. Sometimes we read into things a little bit too much too, and and that's a negative thing. So, uh, but what what's true about that is that we can very easily manipulate who God is, right? Uh, by just making him who we want him to be. That we put him in our own words, in our words. You know, we don't listen to him. So you got to read it. There's no other way to train the mind. It's our bit and our rudder. It guides and directs. It's his word. It means applying it in a healthy way to our lives. It's about learning healthy life practices with the body. The mirror we want to look into, that's it. You have to apply the teaching of the Bible in order to see how we need to change. It's, it's inward to outward change, right? So if you only work on the outside of your body, if you only ever you know, pump an iron and work on the outside, but you just feed it junk all the time, it's going to be a lot harder to get the body in shape. And eventually, you won't be able to do it anymore. It'll start to show on the outside. Put junk in, junk will come out. It takes a lot of work to keep, to keep it looking good. You start to do the things you don't want to do, like Paul said. All right, point two. So we want to read. We want to read the Bible. And read other books, too. Books that are biblically based, you know, help us to understand it more. But we want to pray. We want to talk with God. Scripture says to pray at all times. In the spirit, be constant in prayer, pray without ceasing, be steadfast in prayer, ask for forgiveness, don't be anxious about anything, bring your requests to God, ask him for anything. Prayer is every day, daily communication with God. Praise him, thank him, ask him, but just talk to him, do it. David McIntyre wrote in his book, The Hidden Life of Prayer, he says, it is the lifeblood of the Christian. In the book, he actually uses a pretty intimate word, intercourse, to represent the action of prayer. You can't connect with Christ without prayer. It should be something we desire and something that we want, something we long for. Some people say, I, I'm, I'm too busy to pray, and God never answers my prayers anyway. You know, if that's our approach to prayer, uh, you know, that speaks something of, of what we believe about God. We need to do something about it. I, there's, there's an unfortunate truth in that approach, right? If we're too busy for God, we're probably too busy for others could even be in your own marriage relationships, right? I mean, what are we so busy with? Prayer should be regular, routine, daily, and often. Talk with God. Make it it daily Sabbath with God. Spend Spend time with him. Do you wake up in the morning if you have a family or a spouse? I mean, do you literally just separate yourself and never talk to them all day and never see them? No, you don't. You find time to be with them. Right? I mean, we can, we can often connect more easily through the, tele, uh, through the television uh, or to the television or the internet, you know, something else, rather than people or God. I'm not trying to be negative and it sounds a little negative, but I'm just pointing to obvious things that, that we could work on. Help us. <laughs> know that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Woo! Okay. There's help. We have to engage we got to engage with the holy spirit the holy spirit isn't forcing you to do something he's working with you to change in acts 2 we see the holy spirit he sends to to the disciples they pray right they're praying they're asking god for help he sends the spirit to help them with the work of the ministry tongues of fire by the work of the spirit uttering the greatness of god the people were amazed they were saying amazing things about who god is Let our tongues and our minds be controlled by the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2 says, It is the Spirit who searches and knows the depths of us. And it is God, right? It is the Spirit who teaches us. We might know and understand. I'm paraphrasing too. It ends with, Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We're not alone, the spirit lives inside of us. We have the mind of Christ. We put so much focus, I think, sometimes on God and Christ, yet we barely acknowledge that the Spirit is living and active inside of us. Grasp hold of that truth, right? The mind of Christ means you think like Him. You act like Him. The Spirit helps us, that we may know and understand God, discerning His will, pointing us back to Christ, that we can be a reflection of Him on Earth. You can't do it on your own. You won't do it on your own. OK? You won't. Fourth, fourth one, fellowship. Second greatest command, love one another. Okay, here's the reality. Going back to none of us are perfect and we're going to say things and do things. We're going to hurt one another. We're going to say hurtful words to each other. Right? We're, it's bound to happen whether you want to or not, on purpose or not. But we've got to love each other. We've got to forgive each other. We've got to not judge. We don't hold grudges against each other. I know sometimes it's hard to wrap our mind around, even for me, around God's help and how God is working in particular situations, but you have to trust him. Okay, but the other end of that is, there are real people, right? Flesh and blood people who are here to help also. They're brothers and sisters in Christ who hopefully are willing to help, right? We're in this together, let's encourage one another and build each other up. Meditate on the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's a great way to put in perspective how we should interact with each other but we have to apply it to our lives first, okay? It's Matthew 5 through 7. You got to apply it inward first. Otherwise, you can't, you can't help people effectively. First John says, if you don't love your brother, you can't love God. Acts 2 says, the people gathered together to fellowship, to break bread, to pray. They gathered in homes to eat, but they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. That's the stuff we're reading right now. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Saved is changed. Hebrews 10. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is how we should act towards one another. Last point for for the change here. Spread the gospel. Use the tongue that God has given you to put his holiness on display to others around you, All right. God gave you a tongue for that purpose, to speak his truth, to praise him, to love him, to tell other people about him. Christ's last command was actually to his disciples. He said, hey, go, it's action, teach, action, make, action, right? Make disciples, go do it. You know, one of the best ways I found actually to demonstrate my love for God is to tell people about him. when you listen to the words that come out of your mouth, when you tell somebody about God and what God has done for you, I have a really hard time not weeping. And it feels very uncomfortable when you're trying to tell someone this and you start to cry. It's awkward. Step outside of your comfort zone, right? You know, people say, I'm tired at work, I'm bored of my job. You know, why? Why? It is the mission field. It should be exciting every day. Go there. Spread the gospel. Yeah, you may get some pushback for sure. But who cares? There's another job. (laughs) You know? Five ways we can train the mind. Easy to say, not easy to do. They're not new. I'm telling you they're not new. I'm just repeating them. You know? If you do these things, uh, it, it, they will eventually start to change your heart. You'll become, um, if you try, sorry, if you try to do these things just to do them, it, you'll actually get frustrated. You actually have to let them change, you have to let God change your heart first so that you see the power behind these things. Because if you're just doing them as an action to, to do it, I'm not saying don't do it, they're good habits, but if you're doing it from the perspective of I just need to do these things, you will get frustrated doing them. You gotta really engage with God, okay? So all of these things uh, will help with the training of the mind, which again will lead to the taming of the tongue. uh, And then we get to the last point here, which is lives of holiness, pure religion. And it's really speaking to the heart, okay? All the mind training has to move from here to here, to the heart. And as we're reminded, Jesus said what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. What comes from the heart is how you will truly live and act. So are we offering up a broken, contrite heart, or is it a hard heart? What's James asking us to do? To know God's heart, which will change our heart. James is calling us to what John Wesley called Christian perfection. It's purity of intention, dedicating all the life to God. It is the giving God all our heart. It is one desire and design, ruling all of our tempers. It is the devoting, not a part, but all of our soul, body, and substance to God. You know God knows our heart, but our neighbors actually don't know our heart. They can only judge us by what we say and what we do, right? And this is actually how they get to be a witness to who Jesus is. Psalm, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy six. Hear, O Israel: The Lord your our God is the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. In these words, would I command you? today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall bear as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words... Let God be the focus of your life. Don't leave him at church on Sunday. Don't leave him on the nightstand at home when you go to work or the coffee table. Let him fill every facet of your life. Don't waste the life God has given you, grumbling and complaining about everything. Use it for good. Speak love, truth, joy. Bring it into the lives of others. Teach them. Create in them a desire for God and other people. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Trust me, if you wake up every day and you go to work saying, I'm going to be joyful today, someone will notice. And if you keep it that way every day, a lot of people will notice. and They'll actually say, something is wrong with you. (laughs) I've tested it. It works. Proclaim the saving grace of Christ for you. Love the life Christ has given and the freedom from sin. Prove it. Prove it. By continuing the work he started in you. It's an inward change, an outward change that brings glory and honor to his name. Luke 6 says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks Our words are a gauge, right? So you can listen. They're a gauge for what our hearts are like. If you listen to people and you hear something and you're like, ooh, that doesn't sound very good, let it be a gauge to say, maybe I need to step in here. Okay. The last two verses here of James that we didn't get to. Verse 11. Does a spring... Pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It's a weird way to end that. They're unnatural. Can't be. Back in James, we go back to James 1, which Jim was preaching. It says, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first of his creatures. Each plant created to do one thing and produce one kind of fruit. Much the same way, we are all created for one purpose. We can't live and speak like unbelievers in the world. Or in reality, we're just going to live just like them. We'll produce no fruit. I mean, if we're a different, changed people, we, we will produce fruit. So how? Well, we are to bear fruit to the way we live our lives, our interactions. The fruits of the Spirit are good fruits. There's no law against these. Cultivate them. They're unnatural in the unbeliever. I'll tell you what. But they sure do like them, right? Just like the fresh water and the salt water together and, and the grapevine producing figs, they're unnatural in the unbeliever, but they should be natural for us, right? And they should come out and we should desire those fruits because even the unbeliever desires those fruits even though they don't want to cultivate them. They want them. Don't believe like an unbelieving world in speech and thought. It will only lead to destruction. It's negative. I, I work in a really negative uh, in the public school system and it's very negative. I mean, I, it is a fight daily. The students and the teachers, it's just negative, 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 negative. And it, it wears, I'm telling you, it wears on you after a while. It really does. So, so when we come together as, as believers in the church, I mean, that's where we encourage. We build one another up. We strengthen one another. You know, we're going to go back out into a place where it, it's negative, right? There's a lot of lies out there. There's a lot of doubt. We're fighting. We're in a battle, Right? Uh, but we love these people because that's what God calls us to do. We assume the responsibility or role of a teacher, right? James, he talks about right back in verse one, and that we're proclaiming Christ to be the sacrifice for our lives, for our freedom, right? You teach people of Christ with your words, and we're all teachers. Whether you want to grasp hold of that or not, you know, if you leave that aside, that's not truth, You're a teacher. You're going to teach something. You're going to teach somebody. Okay? So don't let your tongue, right, be that deadly poison or that bad reflection in the mirror of God, causing people to doubt who God is and causing people to doubt who you say you are, a child of God. You want to let that tongue be a two-edged sword speaking the word of God that it may pierce the mind and the heart of those who hear. But it has to begin right here with yourself, okay? So Colossians 3, put on the new self. You're a new creation. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. If you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I'm going to leave you with this. Remember one thing, Okay. We all have problems and no one is perfect and that's why we need Christ and that's why we need forgiveness and that's why we need grace and that's why we need love. All of these things that we're talking about, right? And we cannot tame the tongue, okay? But with the help of the Spirit, right, we can certainly help change the direction of the words that are spoken. You still might slip up, spark may come out here or there, let's put it out, right? Let's forgive. Let's change our words from evil to good. The only perfect man, Christ, the Word, died so that we may have life and hope in eternity with Him. So speak His truth. Reveal who He is by your words. Dispel the lies in your own life and the lies that the world holds about God. That's what we're doing. Okay? I love music. And I'm not going to sing this song, but I do love music. Normally I'm here. I'm a lot more comfortable here. But um, I'm going to leave you with the lyrics to this song. It's by Hawk Nelson. It's called Words, and it's really short. But it says this, words can build us up. Words can break us down, start a fire in our hearts, or put it out. Let my words be life. Let my words be truth. I don't want to say a word unless it points the world back to you. Let the words I say be the sound of your grace. I don't want to say a word unless it points the world back to you. I want to speak your love, not just another noise. I want to be your life. I want to be your voice. Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. And I ask that these words that you have uh, through your spirit help uh, me this morning to speak would resonate with, with, me, with all of us, Lord. So with me first, obviously, but with all of us. And that the words that we speak are just so important uh, to bringing glory to you and to building your kingdom. So let us be cautious, Lord, and let us be slow to speak unless we have something good to say. As we go about our, our, uh, our week, Lord, if we go back. Um, out of this place, and even in this place. Let us be slow to speak unless we have something good to say. Help us to love you, Lord, more. Help us to grasp hold of your spirit uh, working in us that we may be changed, Lord, obviously from the inside out. Help us to be in your word. Help us to be in prayer. Help us to be in fellowship. Lord, help us to spread your gospel. You are a good God, and we look to you for help, and we trust you. We acknowledge that we are changed because of you and that we need you every day, every moment. You are good. In your name, amen.